Beathard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. Fifty-six yarder. It's got no. Does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Don't miss a thing from the world of college football. Stay right here for College Gridiron on WFUV Sports. Welcome to the final episode of College Gridiron, WFUV Sports exclusive college football podcast. I'm Will Talent, joined by Banny Bimonti and Brandon Shorey for this final episode of 2023-2024. It was a very, very exciting and eventful college football season and the national championship Honestly, so much better than 2022's between Georgia and TCU, Washington and Michigan. They made it a fight. Uh, Michigan obviously prevailing by a final score of 34 to 13. Michigan kind of dominated the entire second half and they win their first national championship since 1997. But before we get into our final production here on College Gridiron, Maddie and Brendan, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing great, Will. I'm enjoying the last week of my break. Excited to go back, but I was excited to watch the college football playoffs and excited to see everybody in there. Uh, And it was great. Like you said, it was absolutely just a much better improvement compared to last year. And so thank God that happened because I was sick of seeing what I was seeing for the past couple of years. So this was great. I'm excited to get into it and kind of break down everything that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I really can't complain. I got another another week to relax before things finally pick up. Uh, I'm going to enjoy that time being here at home. But unfortunately, the college football season is over. It was a good one. It was a fun one to watch. We do have NFL playoffs going on that we can kind of transfer over to. But I'm unfortunate that we get no more college football, and I'm, I'm excited to jump into it with you guys. Yeah, super wild card weekend starting up this weekend for the NFL. All four of us, including our producer, Grace McCarron, today going back to Fordham to start our spring semesters for our respective year of college. We're gearing up, enjoying the last few days, but we did get a good college football championship game. Really haven't seen a whole lot of great football, especially in the national championship, pretty much dominated by Georgia over the last two to three seasons I kind of you know agree to disagree I would have loved to see them three-peat just because Alabama wouldn't have been there but I'm very happy that Michigan ended up winning albeit the whole cheating scandal with Jim Harbaugh this year and everything that went down with the program two three game suspensions for Harbaugh this season but to no avail they come out on top but we'll get into that in just a minute let's talk about how this championship will be remembered, though, guys. I mentioned the cheating scandal, the sign stealing going on earlier, and pretty much throughout this entire year, people speculating that this could add some kind of an asterisk or a blemish onto this title. But before I give my take on it, I want to hear what you guys have to think. Let's start with you, Maddie. How do you feel about Michigan winning the title, and does it have any blemishes for you? So I've kind of... Uh, changed, I think, my stance on this. I wrote about this a while ago, back when the suspension was first levied out to 
Harbaugh. And I think the, the way I view it now with this championship is they did beat every team that they came in contact with. They beat Ohio state. They beat Alabama. They beat Washington. They did all of that and everything. They just simply were the best on the field. And I think while, you know, the cheating happened and um, that did play a factor into it, the suspension happened as well. And they still went out there week in without Jim and they still managed to win. So I think there has to be some things said to just the strength of the team and the chemistry on this, on the field that we saw. And I think, when you look at the final and you see what they actually produced on the field, it was just an obliteration of Michael Penix Jr. Like just absolutely just the defense overwhelmed him. Penix could not throw to the same level we've used to seeing. He could not re- connect with his wide receivers. And I think Michigan gets a lot of credit for that. And I don't think you can sit here and say, well, the cheating um, is responsible for why they won. If you watch this college football playoff final, you'll see very clearly that they really just worked hard on the field and were able to overwhelm Washington in a way that Washington has not experienced before. So I think at the end of the day, while yes, you can put an asterisk, I think this is different compared to a um, Houston Astros cheating scandal or anything like that, because that was still not going on in the final. That was still, there's a change in in management mid-season. There was things going on behind the scenes that I think, to say Michigan did not deserve this or cheated their way to the final, I think is just a little inaccurate at that point. I'm, I'm going to have to agree. I don't, I don't think I would put an asterisk next to this one. And th- the reason why is when the NCAA cracked down on this whole cheating scandal, Michigan would have had to, it would have been super difficult to keep it going. So whether they were cheating or not in the first place, it, ha- it, it most likely stopped at ha- some point throughout the season once Connor Stallions was gone um, and the NCAA was, was really getting into the investigation. And then you look at how Michigan played in their last few games in the, the conference championship against Iowa and then the semifinals against Bama and the finals against Washington, is you see a team who came out and they just imposed their will. And I don't think it was because of the cheating. I think it was because of the coaching and the, the scheming coming up to the game. I mean, you saw Michigan's bread and butter all season has been their run game, and that is how they dominated throughout the playoffs. And I don't think it has to do with the cheating. I think it has to do with the, the preparation from the coaches coming into those games, the preparation from the players, and them really going out and, and playing their best football in those three games. So I, I don't think that there should be an asterisk next to this. I that's a three for three sweep here. I really can't find any reason to put any blemish or asterisks on this championship for Michigan. To me, this is just, you know, you look at it. I like the Astros example that you use, Maddie, because it is different than that. Obviously, college and the pros, but just the whole sign stealing in this manner. This team was built over the course of many years. They did not go 15 and 0 because they stole signs this year. The whole Connor Stallions thing, yeah, that was a lot of noise, a lot of unnecessary noise, but that situation was handled. And yet Michigan still won the games that Jim Harbaugh was not a part of. They were that dominant. So to me personally, I just kind of have to turn the other way and just be like, this is really just not that big of a deal. You you both said it, Ohio State, Iowa, Alabama, Washington, you don't even have to name anybody else. Washington was undefeated in their own regard. They had only lost, I believe it was two 
maybe three games in the last two calendar years. That's a hard team to beat. And you can tell, you know, you can at least have the idea there was no cheating going on there. That was just a hard fought football game. And yes, Michael Penix, very, very flustered, missed a lot of open receivers. We'll get into the downfall of Washington in this game. But Brendan, you mentioned the run game. That was a huge factor, not just in this game, but all season long for Michigan. Blake Quorum, even receiving Heisman votes, finishing the top 10 in that regard. J.J. McCarthy as well. And one thing I noticed in the final results for the Heisman Trophy is that Michigan, I believe, was the only team to have two finalists or players. They weren't technically finalists, but at least players to finish in the top 10 of voting. That just, you know, signals how strong this team was and all into because of the run game. Blake Corum, 134 yards on 21 carries. Donovan Edwards, a very strong backup back, only six carries, 104 yards, both of which two touchdowns each. Four touchdowns scored in the game for Michigan, all coming on the ground. And even J.J. McCarthy, four carries for 31 yards. He can really run the rock if he needs to. But let's take a step back and let's talk about how important this run game was all season long, guys. Blake Corum, we're going to get into it in just a little bit and how um, fluid this first round talent is. So many first round projections for guys that just have the tools to play in the NFL. Some guy's going to get bumped into the second round. That's just how strong this class is. But Blake Corum, in my opinion, fringe first round guy, and he's not only put up gaudy numbers in this season, but over his tenure at Michigan, how important was he to this team, not just this year, but in his entire tenure at Michigan? I think we just see it right off the bat in this, in this, as a leadership position, leading this, this team. And you see how well he did um, over the last um, game. But then I also want to mention Donovan Edwards, who was out for pretty much all the season, who did incredible in the final as well. And I think there is just some cohesiveness between all these running backs on this line. And I think that Blake Corum as a leader has shown that. And I think that's really kind of the reason for why we're seeing all these great things um, out of him with 21 carries over the night. He had like 134 yards, two touchdowns, like it crazy numbers. And like you said, I agree, he'll be a fringe first pick first round pick um, because of how good he is. And I think, wow, like I've gone back and forth about how I feel about JJ McCarthy as like a really strong quarterback, because I know we've heard the narrative from, from Jim that he is the best quarterback that he has coached or like he is the best quarterback we have seen. And I, I don't really agree with that. I think that a lot of guys like Blake Corum and um, I've just kind of carried the team more than I think JJ has in terms of what he's done. That doesn't uh, discredit JJ, but I think seeing what this running game has done with guys like Blake is the reason why they're here today and the reason why they've done so well throughout the entire season. Yeah, I mean, if you are able to get the the ground game going, it just makes everything a whole lot easier. It makes it opens up the passing game. It uh, opens up the play action pass. Like it, it makes every aspect of the game a little bit easier. And Blake Corum was a huge part of that. And if you, if you want to look at stats, he 
he led the country. He set the record with 27 rushing touchdowns this season. So he's got a nose for the end zone. So he knows he, he knows how to score. But he also knows that he averaged 4.8 yards per carry. He knows how to get the job done on the ground, which makes it a whole lot easier for J.J. McCarthy when dropping back to find open receivers. Because you have those, you, you're going to have teams stacking the box against Michigan's run game. You'll have those one-on-ones on the outside with guys like Roman Wilson. And it makes the offense function just so much easier. And it makes J.J. McCarthy's job so much easier that they should be putting up a lot of points a game, and they are. So I think that while the run game is, is special, the run game is special, especially for Michigan, I think it makes it so that the whole offense is really good, especially when going up against good teams like we saw in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Maddie. J.J. McCarthy, I, I, not to discredit him at all, but that team was just very dominant, and I think that McCarthy is going to benefit greatly in the draft However, and we'll talk about the prospects in just a little bit, but you have to look at the names that he's going to be up against who are just blatantly better quarterbacks than him. But he will get a little bit of love. Someone will take a chance on him, and who knows? He does have some good NFL tools, absolutely. He can hit his guys in stride, and he can use his legs a little bit. So maybe a mobile quarterback-minded headed coach could you know, put him through their ringer and you know, maximize his abilities, but we will wait and see on that. An overall just astounding win for Michigan, an astounding season in which included a lot of background noise. And before we talk about the man behind the operation in Jim Harbaugh, let's talk about Washington for just a second. Michael Penix Jr., Heisman finalist, he threw the ball 51 times. That's how much trust they have in his arm and in their passing game. 27 for 51 with 255 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. But those stats, they don't look awful, but he did not look like the Michael Penix that we had seen all season long. There were a lot of miscues on his end, specifically missing guys wide open and not getting that ball elevated enough. There were some touchdowns that he threw right into the teeth of the defense for Michigan that were clear touchdowns if he had just thrown the ball like a few feet higher up in the air. So I want to turn it over to you guys, and I'll start with you, Brendan. What did you see out of Michael Penix that really made you scratch your head and be like, this is not the guy that we had seen all year long? I mean, obviously you mentioned it, but the difference between Michael Penix in this game against Michigan versus the Michael Penix we saw against Texas in the semifinals, it was a vast difference. And I think the big part of that is looking at the, the pressure that Michigan was able to get on Penix. And he was pressured on almost every drop back he had. He was hit almost every time he threw the ball. The Michigan defense was definitely getting in his head. And he, I mean, as a quarterback, you don't want to get hit. You hate that. And so you think whenever you're getting pressure like that is you got to get the ball out quick and you got to get it at least close to your receiver to make a catch. And that's what that's what he was doing. And unfortunately, that wasn't the Michael Penix we'd seen all season. Uh, his accuracy was off. But I think it was it was really the pressure that Michigan brought as opposed to Texas. The Texas pass rush wasn't able to get any pressure on him last week. And he was able to have all day to, to find his open receivers and make a good throw. This week against Michigan, he wasn't. And I think that was really why he struggled was that he was getting hit on almost every drop back that he had. 
I completely agree. And I actually think that's a great point um, when you consider how he looks in the draft class as well. Because I think with Penix, especially being able to pass so well and not getting that pressure that we saw in this game compared to other games, I think was a real big wake-up call for for him when you look and when a lot of NFL scouts look at him because in the NFL, you're going to be hit frequently. You're going to be tackled. You're going to be getting physical with um, with the defense. And so I think for Penix, this is kind of a wake-up call of being like, okay, I need this game to figure out how I'm going to handle this pressure going forward and how the resilience goes forward with this simply chalked up it's it was a class between a rushing game versus a passing game and Michigan's defense simply just read them so well and I think it's really difficult because it isn't the Penix that we've seen all season and like you mentioned Will 51 passing attempts like that is because he is so good at it all season long it's why they have been so good for so long and I think that this game is kind of just like It's not really a great representation of how he is as a player, but it's to show this is the closest I think he has shown to what it's going to look like for him at another level. And I think that they needed this game. He needed this game. And I think while his draft stock might not be the the greatest as it could have been had he won, I think that this is a a really telling thing for him because it shows teams, yes, he has the capabilities to do all of this stuff, the pressure against him, if you don't put him behind a good offensive line, he can suffer because of that. And I think that's where it is as a whole, where he really needs to work in tandem with this offensive line, rather than just being a guy that can go out there and throw darts to any guy on the team, any kind of offensive line you have against any single defense. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Maddie. The fact that Michigan's defense just knew what was coming, that's all they needed to stop. There was pretty much a non-existent run game all season for Washington, they're heavy pass dominant, multiple guys with 80 plus yards for however many receptions. I want to say between five and seven all year long. It was very clear pass heavy offense going to launch the bomb out there and we're going to score in under 30 seconds. That was pretty much the approach all year long in Michigan. They had one of the stronger defenses of the final four teams to begin with. So Very hard to combat there if you were Washington. But overall, a great game. Nothing to be ashamed of if you're Washington. You've put together some really, really two strong seasons back-to-back years. So there should be some more exciting times to come. Obviously, losing Michael Penix is not going to be good. But the the recent success should help this program out a lot. And before we wrap up our discussion of the national championship game, let's talk about Jim Harbaugh for a second. Long time coming for this one. I look back at the Super Bowl that he lost against his brother when he was the head coach of the 49ers, and John ended up winning for the Ravens. That'd be interesting if we could see a little rematch of that Super Bowl back from 2013 in this season. But Jim, he goes to college right after that Super Bowl loss, and it's taken just about the same amount of time since that loss to get his own ring, but at the college level. So very good for him. However, well, and also I saw something very funny. He can now speak at the head of the Harbo <laughs> table or whatever he said. I thought that was pretty funny because John had that ring on him and it, he beat him to win that ring. So it was pretty, pretty cool stuff. And seeing the whole family celebrate on the field. Very, very cool at the uh, beginning of the ceremonies, but 
raises some questions and a question that's been brought up over the last few years, uh, especially because Michigan has really turned a corner as a program in the last like four, three to four seasons, so to say. So I want to know from you guys, does Jim end up in the NFL or should he run it back at Michigan for another year or however long? I think that he probably, I would like to continue to see him with Michigan. I think that there's a great dynamic going on there. I think a big question mark is a little bit out of their hands and it's still that ongoing NCAA investigation. It's still that press that's going on with them. And I think the fear I have with this is this, like I said, not the Houston Astros situation, but it turns into what NCAA wants that to become, where NCAA is like, you need to clean house. You need to do everything more. Like, you need to do more. And at that point, I don't know how much he'd want to stay, how much would be going on. I would like to think that he would like to stay, but I think what he's realized is how well he's worked now at this college level that he could get an offer to go back to the NFL and to do something there. I just think his dynamic is just too good to to kind of mess with that right now. And I think he's seen that with how the players treat him, with how the reception that he got from the Michigan fan base, from his team when the suspension happened. I think it's so it's so family-like at this point that I think it would be hard to walk away from something like that. I think I'm going to have to disagree. Um, I think if there is a time to, to walk away, it's now. And it's because you look at both, you mentioned the, the ongoing investigation, but I think when you pair that with, when you look at this team and how many of these players are, are graduating and going to the draft, especially when you look at key players like McCarthy and Corum, both gone, I think that that makes it kind of the ideal time to leave. Is It's almost like a changing of guard here. You have the changing at quarterback, you have as a run first team, the changing at running back down to Donovan Edwards, and I think this could be the, the changing of the head coach from Harbaugh. I think there's there's plenty of opportunities in the NFL this this year, this offseason. And I think that he will he will go ahead and grab one of those due to all the the changing factors at Michigan. I was talking to one of the student managers at Virginia Tech about this situation. And I was very torn on it. I think both of you guys have excellent points. Maddie, I I understand, you know, the family aspect that the he's built and you want to keep that especially in college but i am going to have to agree with you brendan if you're going to go this is the time to do it because you are losing so much talent and who knows how michigan is going to fare with the conference expansion especially heading into next year and if if this is the time to go you he could reprove that he doesn't need that the the cheating the sign stealing not that he needed it in the beginning but just to kind of remove that blemish from his resume, even if you would call it a, re- a blemish to begin with. But you can't get away with that in the NFL. You just can't. People have tried doing it. Bill Belichick in 2007, eight, whatever it was, um, just to name an example. But that was 15, 16 years ago. You can't do it. So now you have to look at it as, hmm, if Harbo comes back, Let's see how he does in the NFL. Let's give him another go. He went to a Super Bowl 10 years ago, different kind of NFL. He worked his way up at Michigan and, well, not really worked his way up, but he worked his team up through the 10 years that he spent at Michigan. So I think it would be a cool little project. And I don't, 
really see a whole problem with him going for a few years. If it doesn't work out, it could be a whole like Nick Saban situation. You got LSU and then you're in Miami and that was a complete dumpster fire. And then you become the most renowned and best college coach of all time. Let's say Harbo wants to give NFL one more shot. Doesn't work out. I think any college would accept him with open arms because of the work that he did at Michigan. I know it was only one title, but you know, taking 10 years to build not just the team, but to kind of add to your point, Maddie, the culture that Michigan possesses. I think any program would really want that. And Harbaugh is a great face to start, but that's going to wrap up our national championship discussion. Let's talk about the expansion very briefly as we go from four teams to 12. It used to be just the top two. Then they expanded to four. Now that has run its course. We're going to look at 12 teams now. Now six major conferences, kind of like basketball, will get an automatic bid for winning their conference. And then the other six will fall into place based on the committee and records. But guys, overall, thoughts on the 12-team expansion? Personally, I love it. Because I just love the change in college sports. And I'm a big fan of March Madness. I, I like the, you know, the upsets. There's no upsets in college football. There just really isn't. You're either the best team and the second best team beats you. That's all it is. I would love to see a 12 seed take down a one seed because I could very much see that happening. I agree. I'm also sick every single year of teams complaining that they're left out. And then we get the cycle of they go to the bowl game, they sit everybody, and then they lose. And it's and that and that's FSU this year. That was FSU, and I was sick of it. I hate to see this in college football because it just shows that you don't care anymore about how your team does at the end of the day. Whether or not you got snubbed out of the playoffs is one thing. So I think the expansion eliminates at least some conversation around this. So we do, we hear less about all of this going on. But I agree. I think it would just be nice to see more teams get in the mix instead of that was the one of the big pullaways for why I wasn't interested in college football for so long. I was sick of seeing Alabama there every year. I was sick of seeing Clemson there every single year. I wanted some change in this. And finally, with this big expansion, you get the influence of more teams coming in and to see all the different things and the moving parts. And so, yeah, I agree. I think this is this can't be really bad for them. I think this is only like a step forward for college football. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Maddie there, um, on, especially on the part where she's, I mean, she said, like, the four-team playoff is just so controversial with with who gets that those third and fourth spots. And we thought this year, with Florida State and, and even Georgia a little bit. But it's so subjective when it comes to what the committee wants is that they don't release all the um, like guidelines for, for who gets in. Is they, they pick and choose, and it's, it's to the fans, it's subjective. And if you're not a, a top four team, then you're out. And what I like about this 12-team playoff is that it, it has more leeway. And if – if your team is, is like borderline top four where you may or may not have gotten in this year, you're in. And it, it also allows for, for more diversity of, of teams that, that could win it. And I, I would love to see like a six or seven seed go, go and win it all. I think that would be super fun. But it allows for more diversity in the teams that are, that are actually in the playoffs and the teams that have a chance to win it. I see it kind of like the Major League Baseball format now. And I love mm-hmm. it. Look at a team like yeah. the Texas Rangers, Brandon Shorey. That's your squad. Wild card yeah. team this year, right? 
They go the Phillies in 2022 wildcard team. They won 89 games and went to the World Series. I think uh, Major League Baseball is a different discussion, but it's a similar kind of format. Major League Baseball has their own issues with it. I don't think in the first year there will be an issue because if you look at it, Florida State, yeah, should they have been in? Sure, there's just not enough spots. I think the the top seven teams should have been in the playoff. It's just like what you guys are saying, though. There needs to be more of like a wild card factor. Some of these teams were that good that they need a spot in these playoffs. Absolutely. And I think the controversy will be dwindled just a little bit because instead of talking about this team should be the fourth seed and this team should be the five seed, we'll be talking this team should be the 12th seed and this team should be the 13th seed. That's a huge difference. When you get that low in the AP poll, we're looking at one and two losses already. So there you can really look at the strength of schedule and be like, this team genuinely had a stronger schedule. This team genuinely had a weaker schedule. I just think it makes it a little easier on the committee to decide who's in and who's not. And it's also fair. It just it's more fair. It's unfortunate it took this long, but that's just how things go. And another thing that this 12 team expansion does uh, specifically, as you were mentioning, Florida State, Maddie, we get to see more players play. Once you miss out on the the four team playoff, we don't see Jordan Travis. Obviously, he was hurt. But as an example, let's say he didn't get hurt. He wasn't going to play in that ball game regardless. Like it just wasn't happening. You're not going to see the big names on these teams. This 12-team expansion gives extra games and gives more reps to players that fans want to see. Now, speaking of players that fans want to see, let's shift over to this loaded, not just quarterback class, but 2024 NFL draft class in general. It's completely, completely loaded. We have Caleb Williams, Drake May, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, J.J. McCarthy, Heisman winner Jaden Daniels. Marvin Harrison Jr., Blake Corum. The list goes on and on and on. But let's start with the quarterbacks, though, guys. And, Maddie, I'll start with you first. Where do you see – let's just start with the first 10 or so picks. How do you see this first round of star-studded college players unfolding in April? Well, I think looking at the current draft, the two top quarterbacks we're looking at is between Caleb Williams and Drake May. And I have my opinions of May. Maybe that's my I hate UNC bias of why I don't like May. But I think the what's going to be very interesting going into this draft is really the decision from the Bears on what are they going to do with Justin Fields. They haven't come to a complete decision. They don't know if they're going to keep him. Otherwise, I imagine Caleb Williams becomes a Bear. But I like Caleb Williams, and and I think his while the record doesn't show, I think he still has a lot of amazing potential, and that just comes from his arm. He is just a phenomenal thrower. He, to me, is just so elevated. He is fast. He is honestly one of the, the greatest prospects, really, in this class, and I think that that's why he shines over a guy like May, over Penix, um, over Knicks, over anybody. And so I think... Um, May kind of follows up as his secondary, the backup um, in terms of if Williams is gone, May is probably going next in that case. And I, I have my own beef with him. I just don't 
think he is my favorite quarterback I've seen, mainly because I think UNC is just a team of frauds and I don't think they can beat anybody really. Um, And so, like I just said, well, records don't matter. I think records matter here because his team, he was just not able to lead this team anywhere. He has no Heisman. He's never won 10 games. He's only won once against a 25 team. It's just not prestigious enough for me to say that I think had a lot of interest then you round out to Bo Nix. And I think the issue with him is his age. So that plays a lot of factor on why his draft stock drops drops. Um, but then you keep, you keep going down the line. And I, I think I'll talk last about Penix. And I think, yes, um, he has the potential to go in, I would say a top 15 still. I think there's that's still really probable. I think, his injuries obviously are always the concern, but I think it showed in the in the championship game how well he's able to recover from things like that. However, how dedicated he is to still being out in the field, even if he's injured through all of that. Um, and so I think you can't ignore how great he looked against Texas, how great he looked all season. And I think teams will still be interested in something like that. But I think it's Williams taking that number one top seed, just like everybody predicts at this point as well. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree that Caleb Williams is, is going to be the first quarterback taken. I honestly could not tell you what team because there are so many different scenarios in which either the Bears take him or you see teams like the, the Commanders trade up or the Falcons trade up. Like there's so many teams that need a quarterback and Caleb Williams, while he didn't have the greatest season this year, last year too, has been that guy in college football. I, there are so many different teams that could take him, but he will be the first quarterback off the board. And then I, I think May will be the second. I think May will go to the Patriots. I think he's the type of quarterback that they've always had, that they've always kind of looked for. Um, I think he's, he's a great talent. He just doesn't beat out Caleb Williams. And then I'm going to argue that Jaden Daniels will also be a top 10 pick, and I think that he should go to the Giants. And I think – I know that they just paid Daniel Jones, but I think when you come across a loaded quarterback draft class like this and a guy like Jaden Daniels falls into your lap, that you kind of got to take him and, and, and roll the dice with him. And I think that's what should happen. And then outside of quarterbacks, I think you'll have a few receivers go in the top 10. I think you'll have Malik Neighbors for sure, Rama Dunze, and then possibly Keon Coleman. And then to round out the top 10, it'll be a mix of uh, there's going to be a few offensive linemen that have looked good, Joe Alt being one of them, um, maybe a defensive player too. But, but I think the, the, main, the main point is that Caleb uh, Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels, all in, all in the top 10. I'm going to kind of merge all of your takes there with my own. I personally think Jaden Daniels needs a lot more consideration and more so – over Drake May, kind of what both of you guys are saying. Drake May has the tools, but what you're saying, Manny, the fact that he's never won 10 games, he's won one top 25 game, that that matters to me as well. It's like, I know the NFL and the NCAA are drastically different places to play football, right? But your winning pedigree matters. Jaden Daniels, although LSU wasn't, you know, in the college football player, that guy's a winner. That guy got booted out of Arizona State by his own teammates and went to L because he wanted to be a better quarterback. He goes to LSU 
and he wins the Heisman Trophy. That's the kind of energy that you need. He's also an extremely mobile quarterback. I like your take there, Brendan, of him going to the Giants. I would love that. Oh, my goodness. I would absolutely love that. For me personally, I would like the Giants to go after a receiver and give Jones at least another year. Let's say they go out and they get Marvin Harrison Jr. or even Malik Neighbors. Um, Jones will then have all of the weapons that he needs with a solid enough O-line. If he can't get something done, then you got to look at the class next year. But that's where it gets tough for the Giants. Do you take a quarterback this year because next year's class is not going to compete at all with what you can draft now with your pick and with the pool of players to select from? A lot of questions for the Giants there, but we'll save that for an NFL Friday podcast. However, I think that Jaden Daniels could very well go right after Caleb Williams. And it will depend on who the Washington commanders choose as a head coach. If they get a head coach who is more running back driven, let's get the ball in the air. Jaden Daniels will fall. If you get a head coach that has more of a mobile mind or mindset for his quarterback, I can genuinely see Jaden Daniels jumping all the way up as the second best quarterback to take. Not only does his age fit the criteria, but the tools fit. Penix and Knicks will both, I think, be first-round picks, but they're both 23 years old. That's not quite Stetson Bennett level old, but that is not optimal. You're going to hope if you're drafting them that they will make an immediate impact on your team. So those guys, they really, they seem like, late first rounders to me and JJ McCarthy. I saw a couple mocks with him going to the giants. I really don't, I don't see that at all. I think he is like on the bottom of this list in terms of quarterback prospects. It doesn't mean he's not good, but there's like six or seven guys in this draft class, something that we haven't seen in a few years and six or seven guys that will go in the first round. Very, very cool stuff. But I'm just excited for April because this draft overall is going to be fantastic. I think the first three days, we're going to see names that we could pull out and say, oh my God, I, this guy tore up this team and this guy did really well against this team this year. And he's in the third round. It, that's how many cool prospects there are. And speaking of prospects, one thing I think that has been very beneficial before we conclude our show to allowing these prospects to be prospects and to really allow for how elaborate this draft class is going to be. And that's the power of NIL and the transfer portal. Let's just go over some notable transfers from this year. I'll start with Kinshawn, excuse me, Kinshawn Judkins. He transfers from Old Miss to Ohio State. We're talking about a guy who has over 1,200 rushing yards in each of his first two seasons, first as a true freshman, then as a true sophomore. He had over 1,500 rushing yards this year, and he will completely elevate the run game of Ohio State. Definitely something that to keep an eye on, especially losing Marvin Harrison Jr. Does Ryan Day switch to more of a run-heavy offense instead of a pass-heavy offense, looking at what Michigan was able to do on the defensive side in pass coverage. So that's one notable transfer for me. The most notable of transfers has to be what Syracuse is doing. They go out and they get Kyle McCord from Ohio state goes to Syracuse. Very shocking move, but the new head coach there, Fran Brown, 
was on the staff of the 2022 national champion Georgia Bulldogs. That says a lot in its own regard. And watch out for Syracuse now as they do a little bit of shift in recruiting. They're getting a lot of big names, and they got a top-tier recruiter to do so. But guys, of the list of transfers, what intrigues you guys the most, whether it be a player going to a specific team or a specific program collecting a lot of different transfers and a program that could look a lot different than how they looked in this season. I really agree with you, Will, when you bring up Syracuse in terms of what they're doing as a program. And I think the McCord signing very big. I think there's another thing to talk about with Syracuse and with their outgoing transfers was very defense heavy. They lost a lot of guys on that defensive line and they really had to figure out how they were going to replace somebody like that on that back end. And one of those people they did get was Fidel Diggs from Texas A&M, who was a top, was a four-star recruit out of high school, did amazing at Texas a&M had 36 tackles last season, um, four sacks. I think what they're building here on defense is really impressive. And I think that he is a really great defensive lineman that they're going to need. Um, and I think that we're seeing a lot of some of these guys jump ship from the SEC and from that Southern kind of conference to leave to go somewhere else. And I, and I think it's really impressive because I think Texas A&M is one of those revolving door schools in which they're always going to get talent coming in. But the talent that leaves is very impressive. And so I think Syracuse can really benefit from a guy like this on their line. Um, and I think that it's a great kind of tandem signing with what they've got with McCord now. I think there's a couple big ones for me. And, and Maddie, I think you'll agree with this one is Riley Leonard. Um, uh, Riley Leonard committing or transferring to Notre Dame taking over where Sam Hartman left off. I think that's going to be huge for for both Riley Leonard and for the Notre Dame, um, for, just for Notre Dame football in general. I mean, you you look at Riley Leonard, and he, he went viral um, earlier this last year after beating, I think it was Clemson, and then asking his teacher for an extension on his homework and ultimately not getting the extension. Um, what? But... <laughs> I know. I, know, I was messed up. Time. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, he had he had what I would consider a very underrated year when you look at um, all quarterbacks across the across D one football in general. I mean, he he was kind of the the guy in in Duke football this year and kind of led this team and and kept him afloat for most of the year. And him transferring to Notre Dame, which has always been a a good football program, I think is going to be huge for both his career his in the next couple of years as well as the Notre Dame football program taking on another um, quarterback who's had some experience in, in college football, another guy who, who knows what it takes to, to kind of win games. One other one I want to talk about real quick is, is the DJ Ugalele from Oregon State to Florida State filling Jordan Travis's shoes. It's a similar situation to Riley Leonard coming from a program where they're not as known for their football team in, in Oregon State and transferring to – Take, fill some pretty big shoes with Jordan Travis and this Florida State team from this last year. Um, and I think that just like Ray Leonard, it's going to be huge for, for DJ's career. We saw him at Clemson. He wasn't great there. Then he, he outperformed everyone's expectations at Oregon State. He's going to get another chance in the ACC. So I'm excited to see what he can do as well. Lots of big stuff coming in college football. One thing I really like is the change. We have, you know, grown up with the college football that – you know, 10, 15 years ago, 
this wouldn't even have been a conversation and everything that's kind of gone down with college football in the last like two years or so, I think it's really a recipe for success. And it's going to be a very fun to see the new era, so to say of college football, 12 teams in the playoffs, players can go wherever they want to go with the NIL money. That's there guys constantly flipping back and forth between teams. Sure. Does it get a little confusing and a little like these guys aren't even professional athletes yet? Absolutely. But it adds that element of change and just keeps people wanting to come back and keep watching college football. It was a great, fun college football season. Love it. It's been absolutely tremendous. But for Matty Bamonte and Brendan Shorey, our producer, Grace McCarron today, thank you all. It was been It's been a blast covering college football and on College Gridiron. We will see you next year for another, hopefully, great college football season.